One of the most difficult lessons in the Christian life for me has been to learn that the Lord wants to work in and through me. Now, that might seem like a strange statement because we all know the Lord wants to use us for the expansion of his kingdom. Yet the reality of the matter is that while we profess to believe that God wants to use us, we strive with all our might and wisdom to do the work ourselves. We serve as if everything depends on us. And I'm coming to realize that I can no more serve the Lord in my own strength and wisdom than I can save myself by my own efforts. And doesn't it strike you as odd that we who preach so strongly salvation by grace apart from works should now seek to grow in this relationship by our own efforts? I was recently reflecting on Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, which says this, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Colossians 1 and verse 2. Notice here what Paul writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. They are faithful brothers and faithful workers. And to these brothers and faithful workers, in the second half of that verse, Paul expresses his prayer for them. And this is his prayer. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And as I reflected on that phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father, I asked myself the following question. Why would Paul pray for grace for those who had already received that grace in their salvation through Jesus Christ? And that perplexed me, and I asked the Lord about it, and and he showed me that the reason Paul prayed for grace for those who who were already faithful brothers was because they needed it not just to be saved, but also to live out their Christian life. We need the grace of God as much to live the Christian life as we do to enter the Christian life. And the Christian life is a life of grace from start to finish. And what God begins by grace, he must also complete by grace. We need him as much to live the Christian life as we do to be saved. As we begin our reflection on Psalm 127 verses 1 to 2, I want to begin by considering the words, the Lord builds the house. Now, the Hebrew word that Solomon uses here for house can be used to speak of a temple, a palace, or a place where a family lives. But it can also be used to speak of a family itself. For example, in Psalm 115 and verse 10, we read, O house of Aaron, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And the word house, house of Aaron, doesn't speak so much about a building as it does about a family unit. In fact, Solomon speaks in this psalm in the very next verse in Psalm 127 and verse 3, and he says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And that might indicate that the psalmist is, is not just speaking about buildings here, 
when he speaks and when he uses the word house, but also of households or even spiritual family. In fact, the principle Solomon teaches here applies to every aspect of our lives. Your house can be your business. It can be your church. It can be your ministry. It can be something that means much to you in life. And we all have all kinds of structures that we are building in this life. And as we examine Psalm 127, we need to be open to God. God revealing our houses. These structures are what we spend our time building in our lives, our aspirations, our goals, our passions, our desires. Each of us has our house that we are building. And Solomon is reminding us here that unless the Lord builds that house, we labor in vain. And he challenges us to examine our houses to be sure that he, the Lord, is in that building and that we are in tune with his purpose in the construction of our houses. Notice here the phrase, the Lord builds the house. Now, what are we to understand by that phrase? Well, consider the words of the Lord Jesus to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and, and verse 18. This is what Jesus says to Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice what Jesus tells the apostle here. You are Peter, he said, but I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus would build his church on the solid rock. He would build it so strong that even hell itself could never prevail against it. And the words of Jesus are extremely clear here. I, I will build my church. I will build it. The role of building the church belongs to Jesus. Now, now don't be deceived into thinking that, that we can build the church. It's true that we can do things to increase the number of attendees. We can multiply the ministries of the church. And if numbers and ministries are what you want, you can do that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about building his church. And building the church is not about getting more people into a room and more offering into a plate. Building the church is about releasing the sinner from sin. It's about the miracle of new birth as a sinner is born into the family of God. It's about victory over sin through the power of Christ's blood. It's about growth in holiness as the believer is transformed by God's Spirit. It's a what Paul says about experiencing the power of the resurrection to give new life and victory over this, the effects of sin and evil in this world. And I challenge any one of you to make that happen in the power of human strength and wisdom. You see, you can't save yourself. You can't transform a sinner into a new creation. The, the power over sin is not in your fleshly desires and fleshly efforts. That power is in God alone. And the Lord alone can build his church. And unless he does, we labor in vain. 
And we need to come to a place in our spiritual lives where we recognize that the power to build our house is not in us. We, we take the Lord's role by, by seeking to build his kingdom through our own wisdom and effort. Instead of letting God use us, we want to use him to accomplish our objectives. And until we confess this, we'll get nowhere. Until we get down off our thrones and let the Lord uh, take control over the building of our, of our house, there will be nothing of significance happen in our spiritual lives. He must be the builder of our house. He must be Lord over all. We must put aside our own ideas and let him lead. Now, over the years, I have become more and more thankful that I'm not in charge of building the house of God. And I praise the Lord that he's taken this on himself. Notice what Paul, what, what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 18 once again. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is the height of arrogance to assume that I can build a house that the gates of hell will never prevail against. I see hell bringing down King David. I see hell bringing down Solomon. I watch as hell brings down Peter to denying the Lord Jesus. And shall I assume that I can succeed in human strength where these men of God failed? Can I stand against the assaults of Satan and his angels? angels single-handedly, I assure you that but for the grace of God, I would fall in an instant. But writing to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul has this to say in 2 Thessalonians verse 3, chapter 3 and verse 3, he says this, but, but the Lord is faithful. He, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. While I would surely fall in my own wisdom and strength, I have the promise of God through Paul the Apostle. The Lord is faithful. He will establish me. He will guard me from the evil one. He, he, he will do it. It is his work in me that guards and protects me and keeps me. The Lord will do what I cannot do. Now, in the days of Moses, when the Israelites were fleeing from the Egyptians, they found themselves on the shores of the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And the approaching Egyptian army was, was, was quickly advancing with evil intent. And the Israelites were quickly losing hope. They were, they were at the end of their rope, but they failed to understand that it was God who was building the house of Israel and not them. He was in charge, and the gates of hell would not prevail against them. And that day, as they stood at the shores of that sea, Moses speaks in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, and says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for 
you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Moses reminded the people in their crisis that God was present. He reminded them that this God was the Almighty God who was leading them. He told them that this very God would be the one to fight for them. And their role was to be silent. That silence, of course, was the silence of confident trust in God. And we remember how the Lord parted the seas for his people to take them over to the other side. Who among us could do that in our own strength? This is a work of God alone. He does what we cannot do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read about King Jehoshaphat, who was deeply, deeply concerned about the invading forces of Ammon and Moab. And knowing that this advancing military force was too much for him, he calls for a national fast to seek the Lord and his, his protection. And during that time, the Lord spoke to a prophet by the name of Jehaziel, and Jehaziel shares these words with King Jehoshaphat. Listen to the words of Jehaziel to King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. And he said, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Notice those words. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the battle is not yours, but God. They would never have overcome that enemy in their own military strength, but they didn't have to. God was their defense, and he would protect them. His work was to protect his people and build his church. Now, God often leads us into ministries that are way too big for us, and I've often found myself in that situation Paul was no exception to this. Listen to how he describes his time in, in Corinth. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, he says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Notice how Paul describes his, his personal efforts. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, if that is how the apostle describes himself in his ministry, why was his ministry so powerful? And he makes that clear to us when he says that this that his ministry wasn't in in his wisdom and in his strength, but the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that their faith might not rest in wisdom of men. But in the power of God, Paul does not take credit for the work that took place in Corinth. There was a power at work that was much greater than himself. He didn't go to Corinth with some misguided sense that he could convince everyone to become believers by, by the power of persuasion. It was the power of God's Spirit alone that made the difference. 
Listen to what he wrote to the Thessalonians in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 to 13, when he says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for us as we do for you, so that he, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice what the apostle says here. May the Lord make you increase. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Paul could not do that, but God could, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holy. Paul knew that it was only the Lord that could make them increase in and bound in love. He understood that only the Lord could establish their hearts blameless in holiness. Now, now it's true that God uses us to accomplish his purpose. But listen to the words of Isaiah concerning this matter. In Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 15, Shall the axe boast over him who use with it? Or the man, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod could wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood? Will the axe boast over the one who uses it? Do you think that you're something because you chopped down that big tree? Then try chopping it down without someone holding you and guiding you. You'll soon find out that unless the Lord builds, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. Those are vital words for us in our day. Could it be that the reason why the church is as it is today is because it's failed to understand that principle? Have we taken this responsibility to build the church on ourselves, each of us with our own ideas of what this house should look like? We pull and we push and do everything we can for God, but fail to see that without him in it, we're just making a mess. Could it be that the reason for our lack of victory in, in our personal lives is because we fail to understand that unless the Lord builds the house, do we really believe that we can stand against the gates of hell in our own strength and wisdom? Can, can I part the sea by my own fleshly power? Could it be that the words of Solomon speak to us today in our weakness and failure, and, and they say to us, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord strengthens your hands, unless the Lord parts the sea, and unless the Lord builds the church, what can we achieve without him? Only in his hands will the axe truly accomplish its purpose. Oh, I'm an instrument in his hand. But make no mistake, it's he who is building the church.